Okay, good to see you all back today. Take this note off here. I am ADHD. You're dealing with an ADHD preacher tonight. I have to get all distractions out of the way. It'll be like a squirrel. Uh, I was talking to somebody today about squirrels, <clears throat> since that's an animal I find myself thinking about multiple times a day when I should be thinking about useful things. Uh, and, you know, I, when I was in college, I remember it was Dr. Runkle's class, uh, plant physiology, I believe. We were going through the campus woods over Wright State University, and, you know, this guy, I mean, he got distracted by everything. You know, he's just kind of like that old guy, and he see this thing, oh, look at that. You know, we're all just typical college students, you know, waiting for him to do something goofy so we could laugh at him. And he was over, you know, just picking this thing off this tree and putting it in his, you know, he had a really old guy, you know, he retired like a year after I left, and he just put this in his mouth, he's over there eating a piece of grass, you know. And he got to talking about squirrels, and he was like, you know what? He's like, uh, he's like, he's like, anybody here know, know how accurate squirrels are when it comes to, you know, finding and recovering the, the nuts and the hordes that they bury? And I'm thinking, you know, there's oak trees all over the place. Obviously, they can't be that accurate, you know. And so he's like, all right, well, you know, we'll talk about it in class next week. So we go to class and, and uh, you know, open up the book there. <clears throat> you know, a, a squirrel can drop up to 9,000 hordes of nuts every year. Does anybody here know how accurate a squirrel is at finding all 9,000? 98%. In a six-acre period or a six-acre plot of land, if you give a squirrel 6,000 to 9,000 nuts, he'll deposit them all, and he'll have a 98% success rate. So you are dealing with a squirrel tonight. I'm going to be going from one little horde to the next horde, and that's how my brain works. We're going to go from this place to that place, and you're going to see this. You know, it's like a little chipmunk. He's running around over here and running around over here. Five or ten minutes later, he comes back, and, you know, cheeks are bigger and bigger and bigger. Eventually, all that's going to hopefully get dragged back into the tree, and it all makes sense tonight, all right? I've realized uh, one of the most important things I can do as a preacher is study how Andrew Elliott is and how Andrew Elliott ticks. It really helps me to, to practice and to preach when I know how I work. And I've, I've really realized, studying my kids, that they are very much similar to me, so maybe I should, in training my kids, also try to train myself. It's been a big help. Uh, nothing wrong with figuring out how you work and, and the things you have to deal with, uh, both good and bad, and trying to work with whatever the, the Lord has put uh, in front of your life and the body he gave you, the temple he gave you, clean it, take care of it as best as you possibly can. So, anyway, enough on squirrels. We're going to get into the, the message tonight. If you could, give me a few more seconds while I find my notes because we're going to need this tonight for sure. Um, if you could go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 17. Um, this is obviously the story of David and Goliath. Uh, I preached a couple of different things on here. It seems that uh, every time I study the Bible and I go over very common um, passages, it, it seems like I always pick up on another layer every time I go through the Bible. And many times those layers <clears throat> are in previous books. And there's just some little, like, you know, the Bible calls it like handful of purpose, or here a little, there a little. It's just some little jot or a tittle or a fact that's in some part of the Bible that is connected to a big story that everybody, you know, everybody knows everything about. David. You know, I, I mean, we're in a day and age, people, when we have people that have come through this church that know everything about whole books of the Bible. You know, and you don't need, like, I don't need that, that material. I don't need this commentary. I already know everything about Revelations. Okay. You know, you, lo- you know everything about Revelations. The problem is you don't know everything about everything else that's connected to Revelations. So really you don't know Revelations because you know about a tenth of what Revelations actually is because all the contents of that is scattered throughout all the rest of your Bible. That's what I've come to realize is the more I study my Bible, the more, you know, as Dr. Peacock mentions and. And I don't know, man, the level that him and Dr. Ruckman thought at or think at or, 
you know, the Bible's like, you know, this, and it's like this, and it's like a matrix and a lattice. Like, I remember back when I was in algebra, and they started talking about matrices, and I actually got to work on a real matrices, and I'm like, you know what, I don't care about matrices anymore. I don't want to know anything about matrices. That's where my, my uh, di direction from, oh, you know, uh, 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 computer engineering kind of, I mean, it was right there, gone, done. I'm like, if I have to learn anything about this in any detail to do this, this whole field, I don't even want to worry about that. I don't want to mess with it anymore. So this is one of those situations where uh, it's a common story. There's a billion things you can learn. There's a billion ways to preach it. There's a billion people that have preached a billion different ways of uh, going through here. And yet there are other things in the Bible that we can read in conjunction with this message that, when taken together, should have eliminated this chapter out of the Bible altogether. I love it when I get to the Bible. Here's one of the things that just that I love to do. I got some good advice from another ADHD preacher. Uh, yes, believe me, there's multiple of us in the world. Some really, really good ones because the way we think, we just kind of pick things from here and there. And if we actually spend the time to study and to, to you know, put actual notes on a page, a lot of the stuff actually sticks and it just goes all over the place. And there's little, you know, little bits and details here through the last... 20 or 30 or 40 years that we live, and we'll just remember random events all over the place and be like, you know what, we're talking about this, and we'll just piece all these things together, and you'll be like, how in the world did you just put that illustration? You know, I don't know, it was the Lord. I like it when I come to a chapter in my Bible, and, I, and I'm like, you know what, if somebody would have made a different decision right there, this entire chapter, this entire verse, this entire prophet's section of the Bible could have been entirely eliminated. You know, in Genesis, Exodus, as soon as we get to Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, you know, if they would have just done what they were told to do there. All right, now, I know we hear the preaching on, oh, man, it's just so hard. Listen, they had, don't make excuses for the children of Israel. They had the smoke and the fire right in front of them. They had a lot of things in, though the law was hard, they had a lot of things to help them that we don't have today that they had physical things in front of them. There is no excuse for them. Don't, I don't care how hard it was, the law was, how impossible it was. I understand the law as a schoolmaster as we're looking back on it through Paul's lens. I understand that they had the Lord in front of them as their physical leader. Don't make excuses for the children of Israel. The Bible says over and over again, I'm going to drive them out. I'm going to drive them out. What does it say about the Anakims? We're just kind of going, going into a little bit, delving into part of the message here. I'm not going to drive them out because of you. I'm going to drive them out because of their own stinking sin. Why? Because you are stiff-necked, hard-hearted. You know, it's the exact same problem when Jesus Christ is sitting there and he feeds the 5,000 and he's, and he's on the backside and he's, your, your, your ears have you stopped, your eyes are dull that you won't see. Same exact group of people. No matter how the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with the nation of Israel, it was the same group of people. It was a stiff-necked, stubborn, hard-hearted people. And so we find one of these places in the Bible... Much of the Bible should not exist if the nation of Israel would have just done what they were told to do. Lord knows how it could have ended up. Lord knows. I'm glad that they, I don't know if I'm glad that I didn't. You know, we could exist in a different format today. They could have done what, here's the thing. They could have done what they were supposed to do, and we could have got in a different way. God could have made a different way for us to get in because the nation of Israel followed him and became the light they were supposed to be, and we could have got in that way. And everything would have went to apostasy eventually, but there could have been a different way. I like thinking about the Bible like that. You think about the Bible like that? Do those thoughts pop in your head? When you're thinking, you're like, man, you know what? Why was Goliath even there in the first place? Why do giants exist in our life in the first place? You know, you go back into, was it Genesis chapter number 6, and it said, you know, we have the first mention there, the law first mention, as far as where the giants kind of popped in, and we have the connection with the sons of God. You go over to to Job, and it talks about the sons of God came with the devil, so now, or the Satan, to, you know, before the Lord. So now you have a spiritual elevation of the sons of God. It's not just the son of man. You know, it's not just a, one of us. It's, it's now some being at the level of Satan, able to interact at the level of God. And there's only a couple beings like Michael and Gabriel that can do that outside of Satan. So we assume those would be angels, fallen angels, if they're on the side of the devil. Now you have a connection with the giants there, so you have this very peculiar... Uh, type of hybrid human thing that's not regular humanity, but it's also not an angel because it can be destroyed, you know, by a human. 
And they kind of start off there at the beginning of Genesis and throughout the passing of time, if we're going to, the passage of time, the passage of time, the importance and the value of the passage of time. And if you follow politics, that was a funny joke. If you don't, then good. (laughs) You shouldn't. You don't need to save you a lot of time and a lot of headache and frustration. I'm sure, you know, I kind of forgot that it's about to be election day. I am glad that, I am really glad, you know, when I get to work, one of the things, that, it's like walking into my mammal's house. I could, every time I walked into my mammal's house, it was always the TV, always something going on like that, and it was just like, there were certain people's houses that I walked into, I always knew I was walking right into some type of political, just bleh. And man, I'm glad that I've been, I've intentionally, intentionally Christian. You know, that TV can be one of these giants that constantly causes you emotional and mental problems because of the things that it portrays to you that you are either wanting to see because you like to be uh, tweaked for some reason. Believe me, there are people that actually love being in a constant state of emotional chaos. That's how they exist. They like it. Maybe it's because their parents were like that. We'll get into some of that uh, later on down the road. Maybe it's just because the way they're hardwired and they got some sins and stuff they got to get out of their lives so they can have a peaceful life like the Bible tells them to have. But there are some people that just like to get into that. And, and, they, and at the end of the day, man, you, you waste so much time. You waste so much time. You worry about things that don't need to be worried about. It, it is one of those giants that, that the devil can put in your life and I'll tell you, it's important when I mention giants here. Again, we're talking about, you know, just using this story of David here to kind of make some points. Uh, some of the things I've noticed about giants and what they do, kind of a, the hallmark of a giant. You know, a lot of times when we get to preaching, we talk about this or we talk about that. We try to expound on something, but really at the end of the day, you're like, you know, I really, and I'm really good at doing this. This is one of the things I'm trying to refine is when I get out of, like, did I actually make the points that might, were going on the inside of Andrew's brain the points that were in there, they actually get, in an intelligent manner, relayed to people that could actually hear it. Without it just being like, man, you know, I walked out of the service, and I felt like it was a pretty good service, and I watched my replay, and I'm like, man, I didn't say anything I wanted to say. <laughs> but what is the giant? What does it represent today? What, what does a giant represent today? Okay, well, let's look at what giants did to people in the Bible. You'll be surprised that most of the time we mention giants, it actually is not a physical thing. It's not, it's not a, and the giant was there. I only see one time in the Bible, really, where there was a giant actually actively engaged in a conflict uh, where the giant was at a position where he was actually about to kill somebody. That was King David. Ishbo by Benanab, I believe was the guy's name. Where he was actually physically in a conflict, and it says he thought to have smoked or slain Jacob. Um, David. So he was there. He was in very close proximity. He was probably whacking off Israeli heads and, and just beating people all over the place. He was probably there. That's the only instance that we're given in the Bible that I can remember off the top of my head where a giant was actually physically causing damage, which is one of my points, to the people of God. That's the ultimate goal of the giant in the Bible is to destroy you. In every instance you will find giants, the giants are there to destroy everything good that God has created. They were there at the, you know, the, the creation. Um, you know, very, very quickly after the creation, it says that they had corrupted everything. So everything good that the Lord had corrupted or that he, he created this beautiful creation, give the giants too much time and they ruined everything. God said it's time to destroy everything and start over again. So that's the first instance of them. Second uh, instance that we really come into contact with them is in the book of Numbers. But since we're already here in 1 Samuel, I just want to kind of go uh, through what this specific giant did to the people of God. So if you start having these situations happen in your life where you end up in a very similar mental or physical or physiological or emotional state as the children of Israel, or where you as the army of God are not doing the things you're supposed to do, there, you may want to look and say there could be a giant here on my battlefield. This is not a regular me go out against them and we have the Lord on our side and we just crush them. There is now a different person, an entity that is a lot stronger than the typical foot soldier that comes out to us at battle on a routine basis. This is a scenario that was put here because the Bible wants to show you that in many cases you will have perfectly normal battles and it's just a... It's just a me versus the world, me versus this, that, me versus the guy with the bad attitude at work. But every once in a while, Christian, that typical battle, there will be something very different about it. There will be a much stronger presence of the devil. And you better be prepared for that. Because that giant, like I said, he'll try to do some stuff up front. 
Um, man, we, okay, all right, I'm like my dad. I really, we need to go back to numbers here. We need to go back to numbers. This is for my own good. This is, you, are, you are helping me to be a better preacher by dealing with me being all over the place. Eventually, I will get to the point where things are bam, 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 bam. It's all in order, and we're going to start out keeping this thing in order. Go to Numbers chapter number, I believe it's Numbers chapter number 13. I know it's Numbers chapter number 13. <coughs> numbers chapter number 13 is, of course, the Kadesh Barnea story, the 12 spies that were sent into the land of uh, Canaan. Moses sent the 12, of which one was, we heard about this morning, Caleb. The other, of course, was Joshua, the two good ones. The 10 were bad and two were good. And the Bible says in 13, verse 22, and they ascended, so this is the 12 spies, they ascended by the south and came unto Hebron. So this is Caleb's first experience with the city of Hebron. Note that because Caleb never forgets this experience. And 40 years, I was 43 or 45 years later, he still has this particular encounter fresh in his mind. Where a high man in Shishai and Talmai, the children of Anak, were. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. All right, so we have three sons of Anak. Um, let's go over to verse 28. So this is the report. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell on the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. All right. Verse, th- uh, verse 31. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. The giants have not done a single thing to them yet, but these people are already to the point where they're not even going to fight, and they're about ready to run tail and hide and go back to Egypt. So I could say that the first thing a giant will do is it will make you want to quit the Christian walk and just run right back to the world. We can say, I bet all the, all the older folks in here have at least five to ten stories of a giant that came in the lives of somebody under the age of 25 probably have a couple over that, Come into, came into the lives of somebody under the age of 25, and that person, just like the children of Israel, there was no Caleb there. That's why the importance of being a Caleb. Being a Caleb when, when, the, other, when the other 83%, being a Joshua and Caleb, when everybody, all the, they're all the other spies are having this idea, you know, this is a terrible place, and even though the Lord said we could do this, and even though the Lord delivered us from the Amalekites and from this and from that and all these other things, when 83% of everybody else in this room wants to turn tail and run out the doors, be the Joshua and the Caleb. Be the Joshua and the Caleb. Even if everybody else forsakes the Lord, the Lord will reward you for staying in the right mindset in the right place. He will do that. But notice here, this, what does the giant do? The giant, just the, just the image of the giant is enough to scare the pants off the people of God. You see the things you see out in the world today. You see the devil literally just taking over whole systems, taking over the Internet, developing it from the ground up, of course. But as far as just using it, using the government, using other governments, using just every aspect of every major institution, the school. And you hear it, too. So happens when you watch TV. You hear how the, the devil's taking over the schools. You hear how the devil's taking over the government. You hear how the, the devil's taking over churches. How many times have you watched and saw some homosexual up in a pulpit somewhere? You know what that is? That's you just sitting there watching, watching the devil from afar. You're watching those giants from afar. You're saying, and you know what the devil's doing? He's like, you just keep, Christian, you just keep watching it. And see if the devil doesn't sit there right with you, and he'll discourage you one by one by one by one until there only be two left. The devil loves you watching all the wickedness going on in the world Mm, that's a good one right there. Amen. It wasn't in the notes. That's a good one, though. That's one, of those, that's one of those buried walnuts that we found. The devil would like you to sit there and watch about all the evil from afar because he knows you won't even walk through the... You won't even attempt to cross the river just from what you saw over there. No matter what the Lord's already done for you back there. No matter that there's already... I can't remember, did they? No, they didn't have victory yet in that issue, but... You watch what goes on in this world, it will discourage you from going into the world and being what you're supposed to be. That's free. Won't charge you a dime. 
<coughs> that's free for me too. thing I like about being ADHD, and some of you all may say, well, you're not ADHD. Believe me, you be an ADHD guy, there's a couple people in this room that will attest to it. It's its own separate challenges. It's maybe a superpower. There's some times that I get most of my good preaching while I'm preaching. <laughs> there's some times I'm preaching to guys at jail, and believe me, the guy, being at jails and being at work, it's about the same thing. <laughs> you, you want to understand what I'm telling you. You want to understand what it's like at the ADC, you go work in a factory. Go work in a factory or a landscape company or a roofing company, and you'll understand what 95% of the stuff I have to deal with is on a daily basis. You exist in that world. This is, this, is where my, this is where I ask for prayer because I am in that world and I am around that stuff and I'm, I'm having to fight it and to deal with it and to try to survive as a Christian, as a pastor's son, as a person who's lived in, and breathed in this church and in churches that were good churches since I was um, 31 years old, so almost 40 years now, including the nine months I was in my mother's womb. I'm getting to the point in my life where I've realized how few things I've done for the Lord because of the TV and the news and all the time I've wasted listening and worrying about what's going on in the world and areas and things I can never control. So what the giants did to the children of Israel. They were, they were quit, defeated. You know what? It cost them 40 years and every person there died. Every one of them. Let's look at the second group of people that get affected by the giants, shall we? I believe we're in Deuteronomy chapter number... Man, we're going in order. This just feels great. You have no idea how hard it is for me to just follow the order of a message. Deuteronomy chapter number 9. Let's go there. Deuteronomy chapter number 9. The Bible says... So this is group number 2. Group number 1 has been wasted out in the wilderness... Group number two, the soles of their feet have not wore off. They've had bread. They've had everything. They've seen the goodness of the Lord, as the Lord has also at the same time wasted the people that feared and doubted, with the exception of the two people that didn't. In Deuteronomy chapter number nine, here's this group of people, second rendition, the second giving of the law of Moses' words. Hear, O Israel, this is a new Israel now. This is the 20-year-old and upward who's now 30, 40, 50, uh, actually 60 in some cases. Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan this day, to go and to possess nations greater and mightier than, they, than thyself. He's already starting with them. He's already starting. <laughs> you know, listen, we're not even going to give you the chance to do that. We already sent the spies, and we already know what the land's like. Greater and mightier than you, you're going to go ahead and do it. Okay? Just, just do it. Just don't sit there. Don't even worry about it. Just, just do what I tell you to do. Okay? <laughs> don't give me any grief. Okay? I, well, I don't... <laughs> Joshua doesn't want to have to go through the wilderness another 40 years. And believe me, he'll come out at the end of that 40 years, him and Caleb, and they'll be just as fine as if it was the 40 years they came out the first time. But they would prefer to just go in the land right now and be done with it. The Bible says, To a people great and tall, the children of the Anakims, whom thou knowest, 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 knowest. Where did they learn that from? Okay, what did they learn about them? Whom thou knowest and of whom thou hast heard say, even the entire time those stinking people were that doubted were in the wilderness, they were still perpetrating that there's no way in the world you can make it either. There's nothing that makes me matter than when somebody destroys, starts to put a seed of doubt. You know what a giant can be? It can be you. I feel like there are times in my life where I've been giant. I've been a, a demonic giant to my parent or to my kids and my wife. Devil's got in there and just said, you know what, I'm going to turn this pastor's son into a giant today. He's going to discourage. He's going to put seeds of doubt. He's going to put seeds of despair. You ever been that way? You do that to a new Christian. Oh, it's a, man, it's a hard Christian life. It's a, yeah, okay. His, his, his burden's easy and his yoke is light. Shut your mouth. You have no clue how hard it is. You're an American. You don't. You don't. I work here. He, I work with three immigrants who immigrated from Africa, moved into the UK, and stayed there for two years so they could learn to speak English, so they could then have the privilege of coming here. I was fooling around with one of the girls I work with, who's from Kenya, who will outwork any woman in this room by far. Back like when women used to work in the day, you know, back like here, like like Rahab, and like Ruth, who I just was listening to today. 
at 75, 0.75 speed so I could actually get it. You guys can listen at one, one and a half speed. I have to listen at 0.5 or 0.75, 0.5 if I could. And I'm just sitting there fooling around and, you know, my usual self, I always say some stupid random thing and we're sitting there looking at one of these bags and I'm going through an ingredients. I said, I didn't say that in French. And she grabbed the bag and said everything I asked her to say in French and in three other dialects. And then she turned around as if I got exactly what I expected. And she turned around and double took and realized that, oh my goodness, this person is one of those people that my dad talks about when he went overseas and said you had to have three languages to even work at McDonald's. That girl would buy and sell me three times over over there. And you know, we can be discouragements to people like that. They may not know everything in the world that we know, but believe me, those people, the, th the things they have to go through just to get to where you are, I can't, if you pray for me, I, I have, there's some things that are hopefully going to happen in the next couple months that allow me to walk away from that place and work full time with my wife. One of the goals in the next couple years is for me to be able to travel to see the actual homes and the places where those people live so I can actually under, try to understand some of what I'm talking about now. The hearing and the ear, I actually want to behold. I want to see some of the conditions. I, I got the girl's number, and I got Julius's number, and I got the other guy's number, and I'd like to actually, if I get the chance down the road, they're all from the same area, I'd like to fly them there and see if they could walk me through. And just, hey, we had to, we had to do this. We had to do this. We're making mud huts. <laughs> Spend one year of your life making mud so you can build a hut that gets washed away in a rainstorm. You'd be discouraging to people like that. We're American, man, us Americans. We could just be, oh, you know, just make fun of this, make fun of that. And you realize some of those people absolutely had to. She was, they were, all three of those people didn't have families. The cost of them being here was their family. They had to walk away. It was either take a chance and die in a war zone or walk away and try to get UK citizenship so you can learn English for free so you can then become an American 20 years later. So you can work in a factory in America making 20 bucks an hour killing yourself? Whew. I don't complain when I work at that factory anymore. I, I, I complain sometimes. I'm like, God, I wish I would have not been an idiot 10 or 15 years ago. But I'm glad you allowed me to at least, as things are getting fixed and repaired, you put me in some places where I can learn some very valuable lessons. There's a lot of giants in the world that will seek to discourage you, and sometimes you can be one of those giants. You can discourage people that are coming up underneath of you, and Christian, you may never know the effect that has until you stand before God. You know what Moses is doing here? He's trying to kick them in the pants because he's trying to undo all the discouragement, the idiots that he had to lead around that it says twice in the Bible he got down on his hands and knees for 40 days and 40 nights without eating or sleeping or drinking in prayer. He was in the mountain for 40 days. You know what happened right after he was in the mountain, after he strewed the water 40 days and 40 nights, he was on his knees. That's twice he did that. That's the level of stupidity he had to deal with. That's the amount of prayer he had to interject before the Lord would even consider talking to him on behalf of those people. That's how ticked off the Lord was at those people. Why? Because I have said away before you, I have loved Jacob, I have loved Abraham, I have loved Isaac, I've given you all this stuff, I brought you out of Egypt with a mighty hand, I've destroyed the Amalekites, I've done this, I've given you water, I've given you manna. You haven't needed for anything. Your shoes, not like this pair of shoes, it's got a hole in it. You got the nicest shoes from Egypt, and they are just as good as when they came out of finish line. And you complain every stinking step of the way. They're, they're, not, they're not Nikes. You know what? I'll take a pair of Adidas any day of the week. I want my Adidas. Lord saying, why do you care? Your joint hasn't suffered any wear regardless of what shoe you're wearing. 
there has been zero wear on your body no matter what situation I put you in. And so the Lord allows this group of people to now get ready to walk into the land. We find here that a giant can not only discourage you, it can discourage your kids and the people coming up underneath of you. Giant can discourage the youth department. Giant can discourage the little ones. Giant can discourage anybody. Giants can prevent you. It can deter you, Christian, from entering into the rest that the Lord... You know what Canaan was? Man, it was a land of rest. It was a land of milk and honey. It was, in this life, do you think the Lord has good things for you? Yes, he does. I'm not going off into you know, crazy land, but the Lord does have things richly for you to enjoy, and you ought to be walking into that land wherever it is, and a giant is just happened to be the first group of people you're going to walk in when you try to walk through that land. The devil's going to put a giant. You know what else I know about giants? We're just kind of going off the cuff here. Like I said, I've already gone five or six little holes. we got we got a pile of squirrel, or pile, you know, this cheek's filled up. We're going to start filling the other one up here. You know where I find all the giants in the Bible? If you're paying attention this morning, you know. Where are the giants located? Mountains. Mountains. I think I have a note here about <coughs> somewhere here. I only got like 10 verses in here. It can't be this hard. We have time, I believe. Um, yeah, there. I mean, they're right there. Verse 4 is talking about the wickedness of these nations. That's why he's driving them out. Um, let's just see here. Let's go to Joshua chapter number 11. We're just scooting forward here. Scooting forward. Uh, fortunately, I, I'm on the same page as Brother Tim. I, I, list, I listen to my Bible at uh, 0.75 speed when I go to and from work. That's about an hour and a half of listening to my Bible, as much as I can on top of that. I'm about two or three books ahead of where I actually read. It really helps me out. I would definitely recommend you listen to your Bible. Slowly, you will pick up all kinds of things. You'll pick up all kinds of things that you never saw before. Joshua chapter number 11, the Bible says, oh, maybe it's 12. No, it is 11. Okay, Joshua chapter number 11, verse 18. Joshua made war a long time with all these kings, so now he's, he is now in the land. Uh, there was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel, save the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. And, of course, the Lord said, you know, previously, uh, when Moses was setting everything up, he said, hey, if a nation does this, if they choose to make peace with you, you know, they're going to be hewers of wood, drawers of water. The only nation that ever did that, I would have I loved if I was in that land to have been a Gibeonite. Because they were the only people that survived. Uh, save the Gibeon, or the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All other they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might destroy them utterly, and that they might have no favor, but that he might destroy them as the Lord commanded Moses. So here we go. And at the time came Joshua and cut off the Anakims from the mountains. So we heard that Caleb cut off this morning. You'll find in Joshua chapter number 14 that Ultimately, Joshua is the one running the show. It would be like Moses defeated the Amalekites. But really, it was Joshua who was actually out on the field. But Moses is leading the children of Israel, so they're both correct. Joshua and Caleb destroyed the Anakims. All right? Where does it say the Anakims are? The Bible says, cut off the Anakims from the mountains. And from, there's that city in Hebron. You know who was doing the dirty work there? Caleb. You know who was the one cutting off the, the giants there? The guy who a very long time ago, 45 years ago, I believe it was, because he was 85 years old and he was 40 years old when he went to the land to spy out, who walked through Hebron and said, man, this is a great place. I want, I want this specific, I want this part of God's inheritance right here. All those other men, you know, they're sitting there, you know, oh, gosh. You know, oh my goodness, this, this place is so scary. And they could be anywhere and they're hiding anywhere, you know, and, and there's a tree that somebody, it looked like he just tore the tree out and, sawed it into a giant, you know, baseball, the Louisville Slugger like this. You know, you got a baseball this big around. Like, what kind of people, you know, are... Caleb's like, man, this is going to be... I'm going to grow a garden over there. I'm going to, you know, build my shack over there. I'm going to do this and do that. Right mindset, wrong mindset. Right mindset, wrong mindset. You're a Christian. You're going to have one of the two. You're going to have one of the two. Or you're going to be that lukewarm, pukey thing in the middle that nobody likes. The world won't like it, and the Lord won't like it. That's another good just nugget right there. Is it, you, we always look at that from God throwing us out. You know the world will puke you out if you are hot like you're supposed to be? It's another one of those little... There we go. That's, there you go. You never heard that before in church. Now you just heard it tonight. The Lord, <laughs> there are two sides to the equation there. I don't want, I'd much rather be puked out by the world and kept by God. <clears throat> and so Caleb's going through Hebron. He says, this is my place. 
I believe Hebron's in Judah. Or maybe it's not. I can't remember. Judah or Benjamin. Or one of the other ones. And Caleb's like, you know what? He's not really looking at the giants. It's the right mindset to have toward a giant. Though we're talking about what giants do to other people, this is how the Christian approaches the giant. This is how David approached the giant. I'm not looking at the giant because I already know I got the Lord who can take care of the giant. And I just want, in whatever situation I am, I want to do what the Lord would want me to do. So I showed up to the battle, showed up with a, you know, showed up to the battle with some stones, and that's all I got. But I know the Lord wants that giant out of here because that giant is holding up this entire army, just like it held up the entire nation of Israel. Nation of Israel is always getting held up by giants, one way, shape, or form. Always getting held up by giants. You find them in the Bible. They may not be a, a physical person, but there's a situation. Uh, giants. Giants, 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 giants. Giants will hold you up. So if you see something in the Bible that holds somebody up, it's probably a giant. It's an out-of-the-ordinary, unusual situation that you're not used to dealing with. And it's in a high place. Cut off the Anakims from the mountains and from Hebron. Hebron, of course, as we read in this morning in chapter 14, Hebron is on a mountain. Mountains of Hebron. From Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua destroyed them utterly with their cities. Point number one, if we're to do points today, which we are, giants can be prevented. There should have been no Goliath. What does the Bible say? It tells, I, I read here that Joshua and Caleb were part. Lord knows how many giants would have been in the land in David's day, if Joshua and Caleb have done what they did to prevent the giants in the land of their heirs. You know what I know is that many people today face giants that should have been destroyed in their families a long time ago. My dad had to deal with the giant of alcohol and all the things that that can destroy. Like I said, end result of a giant is he will engage you in battle with the intent to destroy you. If he has to, he'll sit there and he'll mock and he'll laugh and he'll and he'll just be his huge big thing. And that's all most of the time. That's where we are in America. That's all that really takes for us to just sit there and cower with Saul. That's all it takes. But if you decide to go out against the giant, he will absolutely grab his shield. He'll grab his spear and he'll go right out there and say he's going to feed his. And believe me, if you are not like David and you have that right mindset, he will do absolutely that. He'll put his, his spear right through you like Lord knows how many of his own people he did when he was training. He'll do the same thing to you. He'll just you know, give your flesh to the birds like that, those uncaged and hateful birds over in Revelation. You know, just all the evil, wicked things. That's what happened to the prodigal son. He had his flesh given to the, just about given to the birds. Just about. So that giant will do. So the Bible says here that there's all these mountains. You know that, that, means, that means that giants are very, very difficult to extract out of your life. Not only is it a giant, but it's a giant on a mountain. It is the hardest thing that the children of Israel could have had to deal with. What is it? The two things, two things. Chariots of iron in the plains, giants in the mountains. Chariots of iron in the plains, the pinnacle of technology in the day. There's nothing you find in this part of the Bible more advanced than an iron chariot. There's nothing scarier that you find in the Bible than a giant living on the mountain. You have to go up to it. You are wore out by the time you get to it. And by the time you get to it, if man, if you don't have God doing the work for you, hopefully the Lord just drive the giants out by hornets. <laughs> because I don't, I don't need to go up and fight the giant, but all you, you got to do is send enough. And they don't even have to be giant hornets. Just enough regular-sized hornets will take any giant out of your life. You need the Lord, Christian, kind of getting into the meat of the message. You need the Lord to deal with you. You know what? My last point is that my last point, my first point tied together, giants can be prevailed against. Giants can be prevented. Giants get prevented by somebody else in the past prevailing against the giant. You know how you prevent a lot of things? You prevail against things. You know how I prevent giants in my kid's life? 
I prevail against Andrew Elliott's giants that are in my life. They don't carry forward into the lives of my kids. My fears, my anxieties, my worries, the things I get all worked up on, the things I waste my time on TV that my kids see as being important now, the, the things that, uh, the friendships I make that now become very hard to break down the road even though they should have never been formed in the first place. Some of y'all's lives watched your parents deal with the giant of alcoholism and smoking and pornography and all those other physical giants, not excluding the mental giants. Some giants, the Lord, as we'll find here, man, these are the hard ones. These are the hard ones. They're the giants that get left in the land and ingrained in the fiber of your being. And I believe somebody at some point has talked about mental illness, but there are certain things, Christian, those giants are going to be there until the day you die. And it's going to involve every Christian... Some of you, I know in the Baptist circles here, we can, other places maybe, maybe not so much in this one because we have some really good preaching from some people who've been there, done that. But I've lived and existed around people that have legitimate cases of this stuff. And there is, and if you are in that situation, you watch what happens, you watch them struggle and try the hardest they possibly can and fail more times than most of us have ever tried. And it's going to be that and the depression that comes with it, knowing it's going to be for the rest of their lives. That's a giant. That's not just a giant. That's a giant in Gath. That's a giant in Ashdod. That's a giant in wherever the other place was. You know who couldn't defeat those three? Joshua, Caleb. It says that the Lord left them there to prove Israel. You leave some stuff in your life. You hear about the thorns. I don't know what that thorn is. I've heard preaching all kinds of places. The Bible says it's a messenger of Satan. For me, messenger means person of Satan. I'm thinking like demon. You know, physical this, physical that. I'm thinking demon. And I know some people have to deal with like physical demons just sitting there in their thoughts and their minds, tormenting them, the things they see, situations they get put in. Man, the, the, you imagine all the, things that, all the things that went into Paul's mind, the things he had to deal with all the things he did, all the families. You know, he, he had all those images. Just the same thing as pornography, people. The same things that get grilled in your mind that get stuck there, the emotions that get attached to those images, and he's watching Christians die, and their kids, and their families get ripped apart, and now he's as the, the prophet to the Gen... Or he's the, the missionary to the Gentiles, teaching us about unity... Don't you think the devil got into his mind and said, you ain't the one for this preaching? And he's like, you know what, I, I, I ain't the one. Chiefest of sinners here. Chiefest of sinners. I ain't the guy to be preaching this kind of message. The devil, you know what that is? Giant. Giant in the life of Saul. Or giant in the life of Paul. Ooh, that's a good message title. Giant in the life of Saul. Giant in the life of Paul. Giants are all over the place, Christian. They ain't going bye-bye yet until the Lord comes back. Until that king of giants, that devil, that dragon, that giant dragon gets pitched into the lake of fire and the last of the Anakims and their king is gone. You and I got to deal with giants. Giants can be prevented. They can be prevented by you bothering to see what's going on in your land. You know what I appreciate about Appreciate about Caleb. I cannot believe it's only 6.55. I feel like I've been up here all, all, all stinking night. Caleb, for those 45 years, had the images of the problem in that land burned in his brain, and he was stewing on what he was going to do to those people for 45-odd years. So when it came time for Caleb to go into the land, not only was it like, Joshua, we've been talking for 45 years. We've been talking about how we're going to do this and how we're going to do that. It's now time. Give me the mountain, Joshua. Give me the mountain. I'm ready. Ready to go. Ready to go out. Ready to go out in. This is reinforcement of what Brother Tim already said this morning. Ready for the mountain. Ready for the mountain. I'm already, he's already talking about how strong he is. He's ready to go to war. Problem is we like to play game. We like to play war games. We don't actually like to play war. I deal with a guy. There's a guy at work. And man, I tell you what. Most of the people at my work, they're a bunch of nerdy gamers. I mean, they come across a big, you know, big tough Viking kind of guy. They'll sit there, biggest nerds I've ever seen in my life. 
Magic the Gathering and the, you know, these little modern, whatever, whatever the stuff is. You know, these little, like, you know, sitting there, like, I got my little, my little uh, super ultra lightning sword, and it, and it does 55 damage. I'm like, you're, like, what? Like, me and Tim, we do real stuff. We do at least board games. Come on now. You know, like, board games are submarines. You know, big, full-size, 3D-printed submarines. You know, show up to his house, and we'll play. We'll destroy, we'll run aground again. <coughs> But that is literally the way they talk. And I'm talking the managers and the leads doing this stuff, talking to the regular peasants there. And they're all, I'm trying, like, just trying to have a serious conversation here. We got a you know, uh, thing about to blow up over here. And you guys are sitting there talking about which uh, hobgoblin's going to beat which troll with which huge Excalibur legend sword number five. You're talking about something that's non-existent in your entire, there's 150 years of non-existent life in this room is what I'm seeing. Wasted. None of it's real. You guys couldn't have a real conversation to save your lives on anything. So what a giant will do. It'll just suck your time, just suck your time, worried about this, worried about that. And, and then when the real business, here's the thing. Here's the thing for me. When the real business hits and the rubber meets the road, Caleb's like, I'll go first. How many other people behind him are like, man, let's, yeah. Or how many, how many were like, okay, you know, we'll go as long as he goes. You know how we find that out? Because as soon as we get, what does it say? What does it say? All throughout the Bible. And they did which was right all the years of Joshua and the people that outlived him. You know what those people were? They weren't really committed to possessing the land the way God wanted Joshua and Caleb and them following Joshua and Caleb to do. Because as soon as the leaders went out of the way, they went apostate and it says they served other gods. And the things that we read about in there in Deuteronomy, all the curse, you know, blessing on Mount Gerizim, the curse on Mount Ebal, all those curses, they were already in some of that stuff. I mean, we're not talking like in Nehemiah's time. We're talking like, like a few generations after Moses and Joshua were dead, and they're already starting to delve into that foolishness. Why? Starting to follow the land. Why? Well, that's a big giant over there. Those are, those are important people. If, if they're that strong, maybe they're gods. Maybe they're gods. You know what? The Philistines did the same thing. Sorry, I got an eyelash in my eye. What does the Philistines say? When, they, when Samuel was uh, little and Eli... You know, Hophni and Phinehas, they, they two got killed. It says the Philistines saw the ark after they took it. They said, why don't we put it in our, why don't we, you know, at first they were scared because they heard that the ark, who was associated to the Lord, who they heard all the things that the Lord had done, they attached it to that thing. And they said, now that we captured it, why don't we put it in the house of our God? Because that powerful thing over there is now with us. And now that we have it, it's going to make us more powerful. That's exactly how the children of Israel were. All the way to the time where they nailed Jesus Christ to the cross, where they were looking at the Caesar and saying, he's a powerful thing. And if we just attach ourselves to him, it'll make us more powerful. Now, that's what we do today. Same thing. U.S. government's a powerful thing, and it's the most powerful thing in the world. You know what? Guns are powerful. Republican. We're going to red wave. It'll be a red wave, all right. Be a red wave of all these Christians' hopes and dreams going up, and the Lord's like, man, I really wish you all cared enough about me like you did all this Republican nonsense. Maybe if you got any history books, you realize that the world hadn't been too much better under them as it's been under the other ones. It's just gotten eviler in different places. Because the people running the country are not God. Donald Trump's not a very Christian man. Joe Biden's not a Christian by any stretch of the imagination. None of their kids are. And yet how many thousands of hours in this room have we collectively spent following them? You see, giants, sometimes giants, they'll just sit there in the land and you won't even know or care about them until the army comes out and you go out and you say, believe me, Saul wouldn't have got everybody together if he didn't think they could beat the Philistines. Every case in the Bible where somebody went out against somebody else, they both thought they could win. Only one day, somebody walked out of one of those third cities that the Lord told them to destroy. Believe me, if the Lord gives you the ability to destroy a city, even though it may be bipolar disorder or it may be something crazy hard like that that has comes, comes with a lifelong medication prescription and all kinds of... Believe me, there have been Christians who have gotten through it and survived. 
but you weren't ready for it, and you thought you're just going to go out like Samson is any other time. And what do you know? 45, 50 days later, Goliath's sitting there laughing at your God. You know what? We end up, same situation, just a different, different twist to it. Instead of the discouragement coming from God's own people who are talking about the giants, now the discouragement coming directly from the giant himself. And why was Goliath there? Why did David have to defeat Goliath? God could have raised up David his own self. He was a man after God's own heart before he went out against Goliath, correct? And Saul had already fumbled the ball before Goliath was on the scene. Goliath was just stage two, three, four, five. Why was Goliath there? Because somebody didn't, back in the day, do what the Lord told him to do. Wholeheartedly. With their whole heart. Caleb, right? Twice. Because you did wholly followed. See, most of the giants that end up in our lives are from that 1% that we didn't do. The devil's, Christian, the devil's fine taking 1% of your life. He's fine taking that 1%. That's where his tough, that's where the toughest foes exist. That's where the greatest challenges you'll ever have to face. That's where the biggest spiritual letdowns are going to come from. They're going to come from one, you give him 1% of the devil and giving him 10 years with that 1%. Compound interest. He'll sit there and he'll just let it grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And then he'll spend all, he'll take all that and just spend it into one giant demon who will just sit there and torment you. <clears throat> the middle of these two points, of these three points, is that giants can be prepared for. Giants can be prepared for. Giants can be prevented. They can be prevented. Older folks, you can start beating them back right now. You will save these younger folks. You know, here's the thing about God. Here's a, this is what I know about God. Don't know tons. Don't know tons and tons and tons. But there's some things that are burned in my brain. I know that God is a God of judgment. And I know that judgment, as far as in the Bible, they were called judges. Why? Because they sat like Josh or like, uh, uh, what was it? Who is it? Samuel. He said he made his two sons judges and they went to specific cities and, and they sat and judged the people, which means people had cases like attorneys almost. They had cases where people would come and say, This guy stole my green cart. And this guy says, no, it's my green cart. And they would bring before him, they'd say the, set everything before the Levites, and the Levites would say this or that, and if it was a harder matter, they'd bring it to somebody like Samuel's, who hopefully wasn't perverting judgment and accepting lucre and all the stuff he was doing. But and like in Samuel's case, he was doing everything the Lord told him to do, and he would say, do this or do that. And when we stand before God, he is going to have every detail of every situation Here's the thing, Christian. He's going to have every detail of every situation that came before you. And the people that judged you, he's going to say, yeah, but here's 10 generations prior. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. So it's not the same situation as you were in over here. Because you only had one generation and this happened. This guy had it for 10 generations. Yeah, it was a little bit harder for him to overcome. You would like to complain about him more? And then he'll also say, now let's look at all the things after you that happened as a result of what you did here. This kid struggled with this because of this. You talk about a matrix You talk about a matrix? God's going to have every one of your good and bad deeds and how they interact with one another in every other life. And then you're going to get rewarded or you're going to suffer loss based on that. That should scare the tar out of you. It's not just what you do every day, Christian, and whether or not you please God. It's whether you please God in doing what is required to, to get things down the road right. It's how you set up other people. It's how you overcome problems in the past. That he allowed other people to mess up and you got handed a good or a bad plate. Like I said, we're in America. But we're, ooh, we are going to automatically have to deal with a certain chunk of that from, from getting the, the, all the good stuff, the goodness of God. You know, we talk about God being 
omnibenevolent, and you know, there's the, the characteristics of God, there's the actual makeup of God, he's all good, and then there's the actual actions of God and the, the chronology of that, and he's always all good, and his deeds that an all good God does is all good throughout time. So he gives you a situation. You know the situation you start with is all good, given by an all good God who does all good things all the time good. So your starting point, he'll judge the people behind you for putting you there. What are you going to do about it? Are you in process of trying to defeat the things he has in your life so that way somebody behind you, Christian, can look at you and say, man, how many people, I can, man, I can imagine, I can imagine. I put myself in David's shoes. Now, this is bad. Sometimes you can do it. Sometimes as preachers do this, we, we you know, use the mind's eye. And probably 85, 90% of the mind's eye is wrong. <laughs> We're going to get to heaven, God's going to say, you're an idiot. <laughs> That's not what happened. Your mind's eye was a lie. But I can imagine in my brain that when David whacked the head off Goliath, that there was an abiding thought of Caleb and Joshua. I just took out one of their big guys from one of these cities. There ain't too many of them left. You know... Christian, here's another important thing. Somebody must have been preaching and teaching something right that got into the ears of David, saying there's only five of them left, David. Three cities, but well, maybe at the time it was only one. Maybe it was just Gath, you know, because the nation of Israel actually controlled all those. They just didn't actually, for some reason, for some reason, the morons who were in charge didn't decide, you know, let's just execute these idiots while we are controlling the city. There's five of them left, David. Maybe it was a song. Maybe it was a Hebrew song. And they always put things like that, random things like that in the songs. And David goes out to battle against the Philistines with five, five smooth stones. Christian, wouldn't it be a good idea if you could see some of the things that were in the past, some of the great preachers and teachers, and say, I want to finish the job? Don't you think God, you know what he didn't let David do that day? He didn't let him finish the job. You know, over 40 years of him being king, what God allowed David to do for Goliath and all of his sons and the Anakims? Finish the job. You know what happened after David finished that job? That's why he was a bloody man. He was the tip of the spear. He was the excellence of the judgment of God against those people. He was the end of the transition period of the judges. God's judgment on those heathen nations. Right as soon as, what happens with him? As soon as he died... His son came in, now it's a new job. The judgment has been executed. Peace, prosperity, worship me in my house. Ooh, that's a good one. Christian, you spend the 40 years to get the giants out. Your kids can have peace and prosperity in the house of God. Why don't we have peace, 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 peace? Because there's giants in the land that we ain't dealing with. Deal with the giants. God will give you peace. Giants can be prevented. Giants can be prepared for. Five smooth stones, 45 years of thought about the land that he was going to inhabit. Giants can be prevailed against. Your giant, whatever it is, Christian, here tonight in Dayton, Ohio, not at Jacksonville, but in Dayton, where we need to be, where the preaching of the God of the Bible here is for us. Just the same as it is down in Jacksonville. The giant that you have tonight, or the giant you are preparing for, you may not have any giants right now. You may have already overcome some. There may be some in your future. You may be saying, God, give me this next hill. Mountains in Judah. Mountains in Israel. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. As the squirrel drags everything back into the tree, Lord, either I'm dealing with one now, either I've dealt with one and it's time for me to go to the next mountain, or I've dealt with multiple mountains, Lord. Now I'm looking at the bigger scheme of things and I'm going out of all Israel. I'm trying to go out and get everything. God, would you help me get to the next one until there be none left? And if that none left means 10 seconds before I die, Lord, just pray that I finish strong so that way I leave a clean land for the people that come behind me. Amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for the day. Thank you for the story here. Thank you for 
all the stuff you put in the Bible, Lord, for our admonition and learning. We have just a simple uh, story of David, but there's so many things in the background <clears throat> that are important, uh, Lord, uh, for why that story was even there in the first place. I just pray that you would help us tonight, Lord. We all have giants one way, shape, or form. We all have to deal with them. We have to resist them. We have to arm ourselves with them. Lord, there may be some young people in here that cannot bear the weight of the armor of Saul. Uh, Lord, and all you've given them is a sling. I pray that you give them the strength to understand that sling is all they need. Uh, Lord, to defeat the giant, even though there be people much stronger, uh, much stronger Christians who can't seem to get the victory or can't seem to move forward in the army. But Lord, I, I just pray that you'd help uh, whatever situation it is that is in the minds and the hearts of these people, the physical situations that you give some strength today. Help us to defeat these things, Lord, uh, for the sake of our posterity, but also for uh, when we stand before you that we'd have some victory uh, and some crowns as a result. We ask all these things in your name. Uh, Lord, we also do think of the services down there in, uh, in Jacksonville and also anybody who may be traveling to or from uh, over the next couple of days. Just keep everybody safe. Lord, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the group of churches that we have, Lord, and the help that's been to so many in this room and abroad this world. We ask that you would come soon. If you not, Lord, that you'd allow us to keep staying in this book and help, help us uh, to get to another day. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.